Good afternoon and welcome to the Serious Computer Security Seminar from Purdue University. Our speaker today is Emiliano Di Cristofaro. Did I get that? Yes, Close enough? Perfect. I'm sorry. No, good. He's from uh, PARC, the Xerox company, the research, famous research uh, center there. And his topic today is Whole Genome Sequencing, Innovation Dream or Privacy Nightmare. Emiliano? Thank you very much. Uh, thank you so much for hosting me and for the introduction. I'm really honored to uh, join the list of renowned uh, serious seminar speakers. So my talk today is going to be about whole genome sequencing and, and privacy. So before uh, going into the... Okay. Before going into the details, I, I'd like to give a brief introduction of whole genome sequencing uh, technologies. Uh, starting with a brief crash course on, on genomics. So I'm confident that most of you are familiar with this topic, so I'm, uh, I'm going to cover them quickly for, for those who are not. So a genome is really um, a container of the entire hereditary information that is needed to, to build and maintain um, a living example of an organism. Uh, it's encoded in DNA or actually RNA for certain kind of viruses. And um, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with, with DNA. It is a double-stranded polymer of uh, nucleotides, these uh, letters A, C, G, and T. So in humans, uh, there are, in, for, in human genomes, there are 3.2 billion of, of these nucleotides organized in uh, 23 chromosome pairs. Uh, we inherit one chromosome for, from our mother, one chromosome from our father. Uh, so whole genome sequencing is really uh, the science and the technology uh, aiming to determine the complete uh, DNA sequence uh, in an organism genome. Right. And uh, so in the last few years, uh, last, I mean a little bit more than a few years, whole genome sequencing, or I'm going, I'm going to use the acronym WGS, has attracted really a lot of uh, attention and a lot of investment. So just uh, let me give some brief history. Uh, DNA sequencing really started in the 70s, but it was only in 1990 that uh, uh, the prominent uh, Human Genome Project started. It was a big uh, collaboration, uh, um, I think uh, was started by the U.S. Department of Energy and, and the uh, National Institute of Health with collaborations with uh, different countries as well. And it took 13 years to actually complete uh, the sequencing of the first uh, human genome. Uh, and after that, uh, everything started to, to go pretty fast. So in 2010, uh, a uh, race to, uh, to lower the price uh, to $1,000 uh, for sequencing was actually completed. So it's very interesting to, to see how uh, prices for WGS technologies really dropped very, very fast. So the Human Genome Project was an, uh, an investment of $3 billion. But around 2010, after uh, the advent of high-throughput sequencing technologies, we really went down to, uh, um, to affordable prices, so lower than $5,000. So recent announcements, um, in recent announcements, certain companies claim that they can do that with less than $1,000, even $100 perhaps. But uh, whether or not we, we will uh, keep these promises, it's, uh, it is interesting to, to notice that um, really WGS technologies are uh, about to be ready for, for the masses. So it's not really far-fetched to imagine a near future, maybe five, ten years from now, when uh, where most of individuals will have access to their sequenced uh, genome. So if you think about it, prices could be lower than, an, uh, than uh, getting an MRI, and then you actually have to sequence your genome just once in your lifetime. Uh, 
so in, in this talk, I'll, I'll try to cover uh, both the good news and then the bad news uh, stemming from, from this revolution. Uh, the good news is mostly related to the effects that uh, WGS technologies will have on uh, medicine and healthcare. Um, so we will talk about uh, uh, this dream of P4 medicine, where these uh, four P's stand for predictive, preventive, uh, participatory, and personalized. Uh, we will talk uh, to, about uh, uh, genome-wide association studies, but we will also cover uh, some serious uh, privacy, security, and ethical concerns that stem from, uh, from, from, from all of this. So we start with uh, personalized medicine. Um, which is a very generic term that refers to, to the fact that uh, we could uh, tailor uh, uh, diagnosis and treatment of many diseases to, to uh, the patient's genome. Um, this, is, this has two, uh, two components. One is that uh, uh, having uh, uh, patient's genome fully sequenced will actually help doctors uh, to, to better understand the disease that the patients uh, suffer from and also determine a much more effective uh, medication. So this is something that uh, happens already today. There is a number of, uh, of tests that, uh, that are done, uh, especially for uh, certain kinds of cancers, leukemia, but there is much more than, than that. So if you think about it, uh, if we have a genome that is already sequenced, so we have it, let's say, on a computer or, or something like that, uh, running this kind of test will be much more cost-effective, much more efficient, and in certain cases even more accurate than uh, how tests are done today in lab where we have to collect a sample, send it over, uh, and use some very expensive, uh, sometimes very expensive lab, lab equipment. Uh, there is uh, more to that. Uh, certain kinds of uh, tests um, can be classified as preventive medicine. Uh, so we, we can look at genomic information to understand uh, the, the, the predisposition to certain kind of diseases. Uh, we can test uh, for uh, uh, first early symptoms of Huntington disease, diabetes, and, and, and so on. Uh, there is uh, uh, more and more interest in newborn screening, screening uh, based on genetic information, and this is actually something that you probably have noticed already with certain commercial offerings that are uh, becoming increasingly uh, popular, like 23andMe, uh, that offers, uh, offers you for, I think, a couple of hundred dollars uh, a, genetic, ge a genetic screening. So uh, they will give you a report telling you about uh, the predisposition to certain diseases and, and, and more. Uh, so from, from a computer science point of view, uh, really we, we can look at genomic tests as an algorithm uh, problem, so we can design uh, computational tests, or we, we, we use the term in silico, uh, to simulate or to perform tests that are typically done in lab, right? So as I mentioned before, in a much more uh, uh, efficient and cost-effective way. So just to give you some more concrete examples, uh, so paternity tests is something that you can do today with, I think, $39. You can buy uh, a kit at Walgreens and send some samples uh, to, to a, a lab facility, uh, but if we have uh, if, if, if we have genomes already sequenced, sequenced, we can actually run some algorithms that either scan the entire genomes or really uh, simulate emulate uh, tests uh, that are done today uh, in in lab. And I, I'm actually going to talk about it uh, in a, in a few slides. Uh, we can go a step uh, further uh, to, to beyond paternity tests and look at ancestry and genealogy. Uh, so these kind of testings that, testings that are done 
um, to, to trace one's uh, lineage. This is very helpful in certain uh, medical applications, but uh, again, there is uh, an increasingly uh, increasingly popular market for, um, for, for this kind of testing, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you have uh, heard of Ancestry.com, where again, uh, you, you some, they, they look at your genome and they try to infer your uh, ethnical heritage and uh, find, try to find your ancestors, uh, things, things like that. Uh, again, more toward uh, medical applications, other tests that are commonly done today uh, uh, compatibility tests where, uh, for instance, two potential partners uh, want or need to assess the possibility of conceiving a child with a recessive genetic disease. Uh, this happens where uh, you have uh, one chromosome that has a mutation, one chromosome that doesn't. Uh, if both uh, partners have these mutations, there is a, a non-negligible probability that both chromosomes will be affected by the mutation, and in that case, certain kinds of diseases are really um, life-threatening, so you, you need to, to assess this. Uh, but actually, um, there, there are, again, companies that uh, run some obscure compatibility tests where they try to assess the probability that, uh, that you, you are a good couple. Uh, I, I don't really know how they work, but uh, you, you, you can go on genepartner.com. They offer these surveys uh, where they have an improved ma matchmaking algorithm based on uh, genetic information. Uh, and as I mentioned before, uh, there's also an increasing interest on genome-wide association studies uh, where we really transition from algorithms problem to, to machine learning, AI. Uh, the idea is pretty simple. Again, this is a very generic term, but the idea is uh, if we have, um, if there is a, an increase, increasing availability of a large number of genomes, with, annotated with medical information about, for instance, uh, diseases and uh, response to treatment, we can try to find correlation uh, between uh, genetic features and, and diseases, right? So this is, a, this is a sort of analytics, just to use another uh, buzzword. So now uh, I've covered all, I mean, some of the good news that uh, comes, uh, that come with uh, WGS, uh, the, the revolution in WGS, but uh, let's also look at uh, the bad news and the privacy and the ethical concerns. So the first observation is really that uh, the, the genome is the ultimate identifier. So it, it really uniquely identifies uh, its owner. So, I mean, once it's leaked, you cannot revoke it, right, like you would do with, uh, with a stolen password or a stolen credit card. Um, and this is particularly bad because genomic information contains very uh, sensitive uh, uh, the genomes contain very sensitive information about, for instance, I'm just giving you some examples, uh, ethnic heritage, predisposition to disease, uh, even certain mental conditions are correlated to, to certain genetic features. Um, and, and actually, this is, uh, is bound to get worse because we, we're discovering every year more information about genomes, more correlations about uh, genes and, and certain kind of uh, diseases and so on. So I actually read an article uh, during the campaign time where some researchers have correlated certain genetic features to, uh, to the, the way people vote, for instance, okay. Um, and this actually, uh, these fears had been already explored before the, the, the revolution of uh, WGS, and if you, if you remember, there was a movie in the, in the 90s called Gattaca, um, so uh, that really depicts the, the risk of genetic discrimination. So it's, uh, of course, it's a Hollywood movie, it's a sci-fi, but it raises some very interesting questions. So I recommend uh, to, to watch it if you haven't. 
Um, more importantly, actually, I wanted to, to point out the fact that um, we could think of uh, anonymizing genomes uh, so that we remove the information about the owner, uh, uh, we, we remove the binding between the, 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 uh, the owner and the, the genomic information. Unfortunately, uh, this that doesn't really help. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, genomes are very uniquely uh, identifiers. and. Uh, there's been a couple of uh, results in this direction for uh, just, uh, I think, one or two months ago, uh, there was an article in Science where a uh, researcher had looked at a database of available uh, uh, genomes. So, you know, many people have donated their genomes to, to Science, so to allow researchers to, to do certain uh, studies. And they were able to uh, uh, de-anonymize these genomes by correlating genomic information that was available in some other kind, uh, so the external sources, so other information like the one uh, in Ancestry.com and, and so on. So uh, I think their accuracy was above 80 percent. And this, this was something that had already been pointed out in, in 2008. Uh, <clears throat> so just to, 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 to clarify, um, my point of view, it, it's even worse than that. So, uh, and the fact that the genomic information has some peculiar characteristics. So, uh, if, if you leak uh, your genome, you're actually leaking the genome of your close relative as well. And this comes from the fact that 99.9% .9 of uh, genomes of closely related humans is actually identical. And this actually was uh, the basis of uh, this uh, attack published in Science. Um, so there was uh, even some lawsuits uh, be because of that. As I mentioned before, many people have donated their genome to, 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 to science for research purposes, and some of their relatives did, didn't really like that and uh, sued uh, the, the, the relative. Um, and finally, uh, the, the, the last point is that really the sensitivity of human genome, because of this hereditary uh, characteristic, it's, it's almost perpetual, right? So. Uh, if, if my genome gets leaked uh, 60 years from now, uh, I might not care that much. I'm probably dead, but uh, my, my uh, relatives, my, my children might, as I mentioned before. So this becomes also a question in terms of uh, uh, the effective, effectiveness of traditional security mechanisms like encryption. So usually uh, we tend to trust encryption mechanism for 30, 50 years, uh, but this might not be enough. Um, so this, this makes, uh, uh, makes very hard to, uh, to realize genome-wide association studies. As I mentioned before, they really rely on, on the availability of a large, numbers, uh, large number of genomes. So if we cannot create these databases where people uh, donate their genome, then it, uh, it's, it's going to be very hard to, uh, to implement that. Uh, so from the legislation and policy uh, point of view, there's been some, some initiatives. Uh, I just uh, thought it was worth mentioning. Uh, geno genomes, they, they're considered health information, so they're protected by uh, HIPAA, the HIPAA legislation, um, like any other kind of health information. But there's also uh, one law in the U.S., it's called GINA, uh, that really tries to, uh, to, to, uh, to talk about non-discrimination uh, based on genetic information. Uh, uh, certain U.S. government agencies have uh, funded research to investigate ethical, uh, legal, and social implication. Uh, some nonprofit organization, non-government organization, have issued uh, certain recommendations. And uh, I really uh, encourage you to read a recent um, report by uh, the president, 
Presidential Commission for Study on Bioethical Issues is, uh, is written in layman term and really motivates some of the ethical uh, concerns and calls for uh, stricter regulation on uh, uh, whole genome sequencing. Uh, again, uh, from, from uh, the point of view of, uh, of computer science researchers, there is not only privacy uh, challenges that, that you know, makes uh, WGS a nice uh, field to, to work on. Um, so for instance, one is how to efficiently de design computational uh, genomic techniques that, that deal with whole genome. So as I mentioned before, in a human genome there are 3.2 billion letters. So if you try to design algorithms that, uh, uh, that work on such a big input, you really need to care about efficiency. Okay, no, not very surprising. But we should also start uh, posing questions that deal with how to design uh, system supporting gen genomic operations. So we, we, we have to answer uh, a very basic question. So we have um, centers that can sequence whole genomes for a, a reasonable price, but where do we store it? Uh, uh, how do we protect it? How do we uh, give control to, to, to the owner of the genome uh, itself? So there, there's also, uh, I would say, more ethnographic-based uh, questions, uh, HCI. Uh, really, the challenges that we that we have to to face. So, in uh, in in our work, we we really try to answer some of these questions. Uh, try to take a first step, and we wonder whether or not cryptography can help to protect privacy in genomic tests. So, what we want to try to do is to design privacy-preserving tests on whole human genomes. Uh, really, our goal is to protect privacy, and let me clarify uh, what I mean. So we would like individuals to really remain in control of their genome. So uh, uh, have, it, uh, have it under control, but still uh, they, they could allow doctors or clinicians or some labs to run uh, uh, genetic tests. But the privacy uh, goal is to, to do so in such a way that only the required minimum amount of information is disclosed. Uh, during the during the process, so that means if I need to test for certain kinds of mutation, for uh, remember the examples for personalized medicine, where we need to test uh, for the presence of certain mutations before uh, receiving certain drugs for for cancer, I don't want to necessarily reveal my entire genome to uh, to the doctor or to the testing facility. I just want them to know whether or not I have uh, this mutation, uh, and our approach is to rely. On, uh, on some secure information sharing, cryptographic protocols. I will give uh, a brief overview of, of our approach to, to uh, show our intuition. Um, the, the other goal is really efficiency. Um, so, you know, in cryptography, there is a number of techniques that uh, uh, can, they're very powerful, they can solve uh, ma many problems. So, in theory, we can show uh, that this kind of test can, can be done with privacy, but we need to, to have reasonable efficiency. And this is particularly hard because of the size of the input. So we, we're dealing, again, with 3.2 billion letters, so we need to find ways to, to reduce the size of the input to, to the cryptographic layer and to try and leverage as much pre-computation as possible as well. So uh, the first step was our uh, paper published at CCS, uh, where it, it was really the first uh, work to focus on whole, uh, whole genomes. And in, in that paper, we, we show how we can uh, uh, provide privacy-preserving tests for some common, uh, common applications like paternity tests, uh, 
you know, we, we kind of use it as a measuring stick is, is probably the easiest test and the, ones that, the one that uh, most people can relate to. Uh, and then we look at personalized medicine and uh, genetic compatibility uh, as well. And uh, the intuition is to, to realize the privacy layer is to use cryptographic uh, protocols that are known as private set uh, operations. So in particular, uh, private set intersection. So let me give you uh, an overview of, of how these uh, protocols work. And then I'll show you how uh, you, could, uh, you could implement genomic tests with privacy uh, by relying on, on these protocols. So private set intersection is a very simple cryptographic primitive that involves two, party, two parties. Let's call them server and client. Uh, they have some uh, private data sets uh, in input. Uh, these data sets can be, uh, so these, uh, these items in the data sets can be anything, uh, numbers, identifiers, uh, strings, uh, uh, nucleotides. Uh, and they want to compute the intersection in such a way that uh, one party uh, re receives the intersection in output and the other uh, doesn't get anything at all. So that means that nothing is disclosed uh, beyond the intended, uh, the, the intended result. So if you had a trusted third party, it would be trivial to, to realize such a protocol. But the goal uh, of in these cryptographic protocols is to replace uh, the trusted third party uh, but w with the protocol, right? So you, you essentially realize the exact same functionality. Uh, <clears throat> so the, there's been some uh, recent advances in, uh, in private set intersection. Uh, uh, techniques to, to realize this kind of computation had been around uh, for, for many years, but it was only in 2010 uh, that we proposed the first protocol that has linear communication and uh, computation complexity. Just to put that in perspective, prior work had quadratic complexity, so it, it was hard to scale uh, to, to, to large sets. And we have a couple of constructions uh, that, uh, that you can uh, look up if you're interested, security in a honest but curious model, in malicious model. And in particular, we released an optimized implementation uh, that uses pipelining and shows how to uh, properly implement uh, these protocols. Uh, on the other hand, uh, there, there's been also some work uh, leveraging garbled circuits. The garbled circuits are uh, generic techniques that can realize uh, any sort of functionality with privacy, functionality, so some functions that can be expressed as a Boolean circuit. Uh, there's also been some advances uh, in this direction, so by tailoring circuits to, to PSI. However, uh, there, there are still a few orders of uh, of magnitudes, uh, magnitudes slower uh, than, than the specialized constructions. <clears throat> uh, also, uh, be, behind the simple, uh, besides the simple uh, private set intersection uh, construction that I showed you before, there are certain extensions uh, that uh, can become very useful in uh, real-world applications. Uh, so we've worked in this area as well. Um, so extensions that you may think of is uh, disclosing only the cardinality of the set intersection instead of the actual content, uh, introducing a mechanism to certify uh, inputs to be, to be policy compliant in, in, in the protocol, or hiding the size of sets. So if you're interested, we, we can talk about it uh, later as well. But now I, I really want to show you how to uh, leverage these techniques to uh, realize private and efficient testing on uh, whole human genomes. 
uh, we will start with a paternity test. Again, uh, it's probably uh, not something that we envision as a product in the future, but it serves as a measuring state. So paternity test is probably the easiest genetic test that we can, uh, that we can rely, so we want to see if we can do it uh, in a, in a privacy-preserving and efficient way. And then we move to more, uh, perhaps, interesting applications that deal with medical uh, scenarios. So, um, one interesting observation is that paternity test today is done in lab. Uh, you collect a sample, uh, you do certain operations on, uh, on this DNA sample, and then uh, you declare whether, uh, whether or not the test is positive, right? Uh, but now, if you were to in implement this, uh, this algorithm, so the, this test in computation, but, and you have the entire uh, human genome of the alleged father and the alleged child, you could do something very, very accurate. You could just compare uh, the genome of the, you know, the candidate with the alleged child and, and say that the test is positive if the number of matching nucleotides is, is above a certain threshold. And this relates to the fact that 99.9% uh, .9 of the genome uh, of, of, of a father and the child would be identical. Whereas if you, if you take the genome of any two individuals that are not related uh, by, by a father-to-child relationship, this percentage is much lower. Uh, it's 99.5%. And remember, this is 3 billion uh, the size. So this 0.4% is actually a significant uh, difference. So now, if, you, if we were to implement uh, this protocol in such a way that privacy is protected, so that uh, the alleged father and the alleged child do, do not have to disclose the entire genome to each other or uh, to, to, to any other involved parties, like a, a test facility and so on, we could do that. This is a simple, uh, simple comparison. We just have to count how many nucleotides are matching. So we could do that with uh, certain secure two-party computation protocols, uh, including private set intersection cardinality, right? So these will give us a very accurate test, will be really uh, resilient to, to error, but the performance are not promising because um, yeah, as I mentioned uh, again, uh, the, the human genome contains three billion symbols. So uh, we actually try to run this protocol on, uh, on, on some genomes that we collected from, from uh, publicly available uh, research databases, and it took a few days. So we, we tried to improve on this, and, and we really realized, okay, I just, I just said 99.5% of any two human genomes is, is identical. So why don't we compare only the remaining 0.5 right, percent? So if 0.4 percent of this 0.5 percent is, uh, is identical, then the test is positive, otherwise it's not. Right? And this, again, uh, it could be done with privacy, and now it could be done even efficiently because we reduce the size of the input from, uh, by, by two orders of magnitude. Uh, and in our experiments, this would take about an hour which is acceptable for a paternity test. But the problem is that we don't know where the differences in, uh, in, the, in the human genome occur. So I said 99.5% of any two human genomes are identical, but I, I cannot predict uh, where this 0.5% is going to occur. So now how we, we do it uh, for, for real is we really emulate what go, what, what's going on today in lab-based tests. So lab-based tests today, they're actually admissible in court, uh, use a technique, a couple of techniques actually. One of them 
is uh, based on RFLP, uh, Restriction Fragment Length Polymorphism. It's a very simple, uh, simple test. So in lab, you, they take a, a sample of DNA, they cut it into fragments using some enzymes, uh, and then uh, 25 of these fragments are selected using some, some markers. So it's a process called electrophoresis. Uh, now the test is positive, so uh, um, we, we, we say that uh, the, the sample of alleged father uh, um, is a positive against uh, the sample of the alleged child if at least 24 out of these 25 fragments have the same length. And this is uh, accurate enough to be admissible in court. So now, um, as you can see, it's not very hard to, to emulate this protocol, this, this test in computation, right? Uh, the, the, um, the cutting part can be done by, by simple uh, pattern matching uh, uh, algorithm and the selection as well. So the markers, you, you can sim simulate it by, by using a pattern matching. Now, I want to run this test in a privacy preserving way. That means that I just want to check uh, how many of these fragments have the same length without revealing uh, any content, without revealing the length of the fragments if they're not matching. So again, I can use uh, techniques like private set intersection cardinality. I just count privately how many, uh, uh, how many uh, fragments have the, the same length. So a few remarks. Uh, I, I've, when I presented this work, uh, a few people have asked me, why do you compare fragment length lengths and not the actual contents, right? So, you know, intuitively, it would be more accurate to, to compare contents. But in reality, uh, the way it works today in, uh, in, uh, in biology, is, it, in biological-based tests, is that RFLP yields very uh, little false positive. So well, that there's no harm in comparing the length. But actually, we have an advantage, because in case there's been some sequencing errors, so some letters were um, changed from A to C or something like that, we, we will be resident, resident to that. So we, we've done some, some experiments. Uh, and just to give you an idea of uh, the efficiency of these protocols, so it will take about a minute on a, on a, uh, on a desktop to, uh, or actually I think it was my laptop, uh, to, to run the preprocessing phase, so to cut these 3 billion letters uh, uh, into, into some smaller fragments and select some of them. Uh, but then the uh, real-time computation, so involving two interactive parties, uh, will only take about 10 milliseconds or so. I mean, the, the comparison is really, uh, the, the, the input of the comparison is really small, just 25 fragment lengths. So we, we can actually implement this kind of tests even on a mobile device if we want. And the interesting thing is that actually we ran some studies, so we, we partnered with uh, uh, bioinformatic experts and they told us that if you select 50 uh, fragments instead of uh, 25, your accuracy will go from 99.9% uh, to 99.999%. So you can uh, just double uh, the, the amount of computation that you do but have two orders of magnitude more in, uh, in accuracy. Uh, then we look at uh, personalized medicine. Uh, again, I, uh, as I told you before, uh, it's an approach to, uh, for instance, choose a treatment plan depending on uh, the patient's uh, genetic features or um, to, to, to choose one drug uh, or the other uh, based, again, on some genetic fingerprints. 
And just to, again, to, to give you an example, uh, before prescribing certain kinds of drug uh, for leukemia and HIV, uh, we need to test whether or not uh, the patient has some kind of mutations. So in, in a way, we can say that we need to test uh, a drug's genetic fingerprint against uh, the patient's uh, genome. So similarly to, to what I said before, uh, the privacy goal in this kind of tests will be uh, to let uh, patients um, retain control of their genome so they don't have to disclose it to, to, to the doctor or to the test facilities, but still let the doctor know uh, whether or not this mutation is, uh, is done. So this can be actually even more complicated than that because certain pharmaceutical companies protect the intellectual property of these tests. So they don't want to disclose what these tests are, and they, there's been a uh, recent uh, lawsuit in this, uh, in this area that the company has won. Uh, and even to, to complicate it even more, uh, yes, the, the company might not, uh, might be able to, uh, uh, to conceal the test, but need, still needs to have an approval uh, to, to run certain kinds of tests. For instance, in the, in the U.S., every, a, any medical test needs to be approved by the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. So we, with all these constraints in mind, we, we find a way to reduce uh, this kind of testing for uh, personalized medicine uh, with privacy using another uh, private, set, private set operation protocols, in particular authorized private set intersection. So uh, the company that runs this test needs to certify that its inputs are uh, compliant to, to a certain policy and the certification comes from, from the FDA. So it's a, it's a, pretty, complex, uh, a pretty complex problem. I'm going to uh, to, to skip the details for the interest of time, but you can, you can read more on, on the paper. Uh, so last two tests uh, that, that, we, that we support uh, are compatibility tests and ancestry tests. Compatibility tests, uh, we, we don't do the uh, online dating uh, algorithm, but we look at uh, uh, the partners that want to assess the risk of conceiving a child with a recessive disease. Um, and this is actually an example that came from, from myself. I have this uh, disorder, beta thalassemia. It's pretty common in, uh, in the Mediterranean area. Um, so my red cells are smaller than average, but uh, I have a perfect, uh, perfectly normal life because only one chromosome is affected by the mutation. But now if, I had, if, if my partner uh, uh, had the same uh, disorder, uh, then there will be some I mean, non-negligible probability, then uh, our, ch our children will have both chromosomes with a mutation. And this, will, this results in, uh, I think, 75% of premature death. So I need to, to test. Uh, I'm, my partner and I need to test uh, for, for, for this disease. So we show how to do it, again, in a privacy-preserving way uh, so that I don't have to reveal my entire uh, genome just to, uh, to know whether or not uh, we both my partner and I have, uh, have the mutation. And finally, uh, we, we, we go toward more, uh, let's say, recreational tests, ancestry testing, uh, responding to this increasing demand of uh, tracing one's lineage and uh, ethnical uh, heritage. So we try to, there are some uh, companies that do that, Ancestry.com and 23andMe, they, they try to tell you how your, how close you are to certain individuals, trying to find uh, your ancestors and so on. And there are certain tests that you can do. Uh, 
uh, you can trace uh, mother heritage uh, using uh, mitochondrial DNA, uh, some specific region of the genome, or father's heritage uh, through uh, the Y chromosome. Uh, but you can do uh, very similar things like uh, assessing, the assessing some similarity between two genomes. So we just look uh, at a couple of them. One was Jacquard similarity, uh, and this involves only uh, only requires the computation of uh, the intersection cardinality and the union cardinality, so we can do that with privacy, and we can do that efficiently. There are some algorithm, algorithm tricks that were, were actually uh, quite interesting. So we, we have some data sets and some kind of tests that, that we run on. Uh, again, I'm going to, to skip the details for, for the interest of time. Uh, so that, that was also a small performance evaluation. But now, uh, I just want to conclude my talk uh, by looking at uh, next steps. Uh, what really what is uh, what we have to look at in order to, to bring privacy preserving genomic tests uh, to, to reality once uh, really the, the majority of people uh, in, in, in the developed countries at, uh, at least will have access to, uh, to uh, whole genome sequencing. So the first question that we try to, to assess whether or not it's feasible uh, to, to consider mobile devices for this kind of test. So like uh, smartphones or dedicated uh, devices because it's much more likely that patients uh, or individuals will, uh, let's say, carry uh, a smartphone or a dedica dedicated small device to, to the doctor rather than their desktop, right? And uh, for the reasons that I, uh, um, I, I, I presented before, it might not really be a good idea to outsource genomes uh, to, let's say, to the cloud, even if you, if, even if you encrypt it. So we want to uh, you know, test the boundaries and try to see whether or not this would make sense. Uh, and in order to do that, we actually go and implement uh, a complete uh, open source, source framework uh, where we support pretty much all the uh, preprocessing that is needed in all kind of tests. So usually uh, sequencing centers uh, give you uh, sequence genomes in a, it's called raw format that you have to process in order to, to, make, it, to make it accessible for running these uh, simple algorithm tests. Uh, so we, we do that and we have a paper at uh, WPES uh, last year where uh, we, we release a toolkit. Uh, uh, as I mentioned uh, before, we also evaluate uh, usability of applications built on that and we provide a sort of API. So let me give you uh, an overview. An API for, uh, for application developers to, to build on top of, uh, uh, to build on top of these uh, uh, this framework so that they can uh, implement uh, their own privacy preserving uh, tests. So as more tests will become available in the future, uh, we, we, need, uh, we, we need more uh, development. So we actually uh, divide, sorry, uh, divide uh, the framework into two parts. I don't know how to go back, but uh, anyway, so the one part is, uh, is uh, the, the preprocessing that can be done at uh, the sequencing center on a desktop. And the second part is what runs on the mobile uh, device, so you can uh, have a, a compressed encrypted version of the of the genome and then access it uh, in such a way that you can run privacy preserving tests. So we also have a, a small user study. We try to assess uh, whether or not uh, users will like to to deal with these applications. Uh, so we even have an application on the Android market uh, that uh, simulates a paternity test. Of course, it's, there is no uh, no real genomic information, it's just a toy application you can play on, play with. 
And uh, so the usability was um, uh, was pretty high. It scored 82 out of 100 on the system usability scale. Usually 80 uh, is considered, uh, everything above 80 is considered very good. Uh, but also it was interesting to, to see that interviews, interviews inter uh, showed that uh, um, users were actually concerned uh, with privacy. So uh, they, uh, they, they're in favor of genomic tests only if they do not invade their privacy. Uh, so just to, to conclude and leave space uh, for some questions. Uh, so we, in this talk we have presented uh, some analysis of whole genome sequencing. Uh, we have uh, explained uh, why this is uh, such an important revolution in healthcare. Uh, so the good news. But the bad news is that uh, there, there are certain serious privacy and security concerns. Uh, we try to, to start answering some of the, uh, these challenges by looking at the feasibility of uh, using cryptography to support privacy-preserving uh, tests on, on uh, whole genomes. Um, and, you know, the, the results are pretty encouraging and shows that uh, using efficient protocols, but, uh, um, you know, involving uh, uh, experts in bioinformatics, you can use domain, com um, domain knowledge and uh, have, have good, good results. Uh, but our work does not end here. Uh, by any means, there is a number of open research issues, and so we, we hope that uh, more people can try to, uh, to tap on that. And uh, before getting your questions, let's, let me thank my, my co-authors, a uh, number of people that have worked uh, with me, uh, and uh, thank you very much. Uh, okay. That's, that's <laughs> Yes. Okay, so, so you mentioned that um, a couple of papers have shown that anonymization of genomic data doesn't work. Mm -hmm. But which type of anonymization techniques were they using? Uh, simple you... removing ah, okay. identifiers and removing some of the uh, so-called SNPs uh, yeah, that they were believed to uh, reveal ethnic heritage. Um, but, so, yeah. but do you think that, uh, you know, depending, of course, on the type of, for example, machine learning you have to do, that you may use a differential privacy techniques? Yeah, uh, I mean, Would it's definitely better? one interesting uh, direction to, to explore. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't have a strong, strong opinion on, on this. Uh, I just think that it's, uh, it's very hard to, um, uh, to, to know in advance because we actually don't know much about uh, genomes yet. You know, there is studies that show new things every every couple of months. So maybe we, we think that some parts of the genome are not, uh, uh, let's say, privacy sensitive, but in reality they will be in the future, right? So uh, differential privacy can, can definitely help. Uh, it, it will be interesting to see uh, what's the trade-off between utility and, and privacy. Yeah, and in particular, um, uh, because um, there is a class, you know, if, when you want this data to be used for research, mm -hmm. that's when they have to do association, as you mentioned. Right. In that yes. case, you know, secure set intersection techniques perhaps don't help. No, don't help at all. Yes, yeah. exactly. And uh, so I actually uh, um, talked to a couple of people in NIH, and they, uh, for them it's a really open problem mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, they would like to fund more research on uh, these genome-wide association studies, but they don't know how to protect, uh, you know, privacy and protect them and 
volunteers from lawsuits. So it's 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 a really uh, uh, it's a really hard question. Uh, really hard um, so my question actually has, um, is, is not about privacy-preserving situations, but um, are you aware in, the, in that literature without privacy preservation of the need for justification for and algorithms for um, questions of the following type, that you're given a bunch of um, you know, sequences mm -hmm. and you ask for um, like the two closest or the two farthest mm -hmm. from each other, things that appear to require um, quadratic time mm -hmm. uh, in the number of sequences and, and what, what's known about that. So you mean the two closest uh, yeah. genomes? Yeah, so I, the, you know, I give you a bunch of them uh -huh. and I ask you, give me the two that are farthest apart uh -huh. or the two that are closest right. to each other. Yeah, actually... Uh, Have people done that? Uh, no, I never came across that. Uh, actually, that's, that's a well, very you think interesting... That it's justifiable yeah. from a practical point of view so that we, you uh -huh. know, somebody doesn't get rejected because of a very nice algorithm, but no one cares about that. <laughs> no, I actually think, uh, um, I mean, on top of my head, I think it, it will help uh, these companies that provide you with information about, you know, your heritage and they try to find your ancestors and uh, things like that. So I think it might, might actually help them a lot. Because they, so they have databases of genomes uh, and they try to tell you, oh, I have uh, this person, you might not know that you're related, but you actually are. And uh, so if, if uh, both users have, dis have uh, agreed uh, to, to disclose this information, they, they will actually tell you. And this is uh, a booming market, actually. Yeah. It's easier, though, than what I'm asking for. Yeah. Because it's, it's easier because, you know, you come to me and they, so it's a query. Mm -hmm. Really, it's a nearest neighbor query. And, right. You know, you're giving me yours and I'm telling you, okay, this is the nearest to yours or the farthest to yours or mm -hmm. something like that. The one I'm asking for is really the nasty one because this is any two that are, you know, farthest from each other right. or, farthest, closest, uh, or closest or closest yeah. to each yeah. other. Now, closest, you know, if you, if you don't know who, who you're related to, you might need to know who, who <laughs> are the two closest to you, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, in, in the database. In, are the genomes of identical twins exactly the same? No, no, not exactly the same. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, to, do you remember the degree? difference between them? Or? No, I, I don't think there is a, you know a, an exact number. Uh, there is a lot of uh, non-deterministic uh, ways that chromosomes are uh, passed on okay. uh, between twins. Uh, but yeah, they're pretty close, but not not necessarily uh, uh, exactly the same. I think uh, it's so as far as I remember. Uh, I think there is um, they're clo closer than, let's say, brothers and sisters uh, genomes are, but not identical. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Um, I mean, I, I don't run this test, but, uh, yeah. Let's say you, for your paternity test, you had an allergic father, and you're trying to map it with a kid, and he has a sibling, a brother or something, and you 
you want to be very sure that you know uh, mm -hmm. the father is this. Right. I do not have much idea about the right. No, that's a, that's a very good question. So that's, uh, that's actually one of the reasons why uh, at the end we really went, uh, we went for the simulation of what is done today in lab. Uh, so this test has been, you know, many people have worked on and they, they made it in such a way that it's admissible in court. So it's accurate enough that it will also capture the fact, let's say, you know, alleged father and alleged father's brother uh, you know, genome they may be similar enough, but still not enough to, uh, to, 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 to cause a false positive. Yeah, so that's, that's one of the reasons. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's why we... Yes? Uh, so, I have a couple of questions. Um, when you spoke about releasing certain information to doctors, mm -hmm. um, how would you go about doing that? If the whole, is the entire genome going to be uh, cryptographically uh, secure and are they breaking it up into parts or I don't um, know. No, actually the entire, the entire genome will be cryptographically protected and that's actually, uh, yeah, that's the only way where you could really protect privacy uh, uh, provably, right. So then, yeah. how, oh. so then how would they give just a part of the genome to doctors? Right. Or so the, the way it works, um, just to give a more concrete example, let's say you, you want to test for a certain kind of mutation. So uh, the, the cryptographic protocol works in such a way that everything is encrypted and can only be decrypted if the test, um, if, if the test is positive. Right? So it's, a, let's say, a special kind of encryption where uh, data can only be decrypted in case there is a match. So the doctor will not see anything but only what satisfies uh, his test. That's, yeah. I just have one more question. It yes. was about the compatibility testing on mm -hmm. slide 28. Um, so you spoke about, oh, can you go back Maybe, to the yeah. slide? I don't know why. Yeah. Yes. Uh, there it is, yeah. Um, this beta thalassima. So yes. if two individuals have it, each one has one chromosome, and they can still, they only have a quarter of a chance of having a child right. that will die, right? Exactly. 50% yes. chance having a child that will have the same one chromosome, right? And Approximately, then there's yeah. still a 25% chance that they'll have a child that has no, I mean, that it, both chromosomes it, do not have the... yeah, but that's... that's so, yeah. I mean, it, like, doing this compatibility, compatibility testing doesn't really protect anyone, and it also they, they still have the same exact odds of having a child without it than they do having a child um, So I, I'm, I'm not sure I, I got a question, but let, let me clarify uh, what, what I meant here. Um, so first of all, the, the probabilities are, um, let's say, rounded because certain chromosomes have, um, are dominant, so they, they get, uh, uh, they, get they, they are inherited with more uh, with a greater probability, but yeah, so the, the probability that you will will have a child with uh, the the major ma major variant, so it's twenty five percent approximately, right? So the still it's un, it's not negligible, right? So it's something that that you have have to do. So I'm not considering privacy yet, right? So it's it's a test that it's it's better uh, it's a better to do also because there are. I mean, I'm not sure for beta thalassemia, but for other kind of diseases, there are actually ways to treat 
uh, you know, in in uh, in uterus. Yeah. So, but um, in terms of privacy, um, so that um, I mean, you, you can be okay to just reveal uh, to each other that uh, you know you you have this disease. So the privacy might not necessarily be a concern. But uh, um, I mean, there are certain diseases that you might be okay to reveal to a potential partner. Some that you might not. Or if really these kind of genetic informations are used maybe in the future in uh, online dating services, then, you know, maybe really you don't want to disclose it to, to unknown people, right? So there, there are different uh, levels to, to that. But, I mean, we, what we really wanted to show is that if you want to do that with privacy, then you, you can. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry. I thought that what she asked and uh, she can clarify is if the privacy preserving comparison has exactly the same accuracy as the oh. one. Is that kind of what you asked? Oh, sorry. I, 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 didn't, yeah, I, think that that was <laughs> I didn't get that. Yeah, it's, it's exactly the same. So here, this, these uh, tests are really looking at certain mutations. So in a specific position of a specific gene. So what you do is really uh, try and look whether in this position, in this gene, you both have an A instead of a C. So, you know, the privacy doesn't uh, uh, take anything out of the accuracy. Yeah. Yes? The goal is to have certain set operations to be, or as the owner of your own gene, you can allow certain set operations to be done on your gene. Mm -hmm. So certain tests can be learned. But you also want certain tests not to be learned. Uh, have you looked at combinations of tests that could be learned that could infer? Yeah, that's, that uh, that's a very good question. Um, so that uh, we, let's say, leave as, a, uh, as an open, open question. So what we, what we, um, we take the, I mean, the, the approach of having FDA approve what kind of tests uh, you, you can do. So even, even if you do a combination of tests that, you know, potentially are, you know, disclosed more than, than, than you expect, there will be something related to, to your health, right? So, you know, it's, some, it's something that you know uh, that, that you are disclosing. So the, the, the test will only reveal if there is a positive, right? So you run some tests and you disclose whether or not you have, let's say, a certain kind of disease or something like that. So, you know, even if you, know, if you learn more, than, than one disease is something that you know you're willingly uh, revealing, right? Yeah. It, um, but in, if you're doing, say, compatibility on a dating site, yeah. it seems like somebody could make up their own chromosome and make it constructed in a way that they're learning a lot about you. Uh -huh. um, right. So that's even though they're just supposed to learn. Right. 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 So that's uh, um, so in in the personalized medicine. Uh, approach is we introduce the certification mechanism, right? In the compatibility test, we don't uh, we don't look at it uh, yet, but uh, so we envision a way where the sequencing center is actually um, signing these bits that are the sequence genome. So in that, so that you can you know embed some sort of authenticity into into the protocol, so that you cannot just modify your own genome. Right, but it, it's it's a complicated it's a complicated issue because now you have to assume that the sequencing center, uh, you know, verifies your identity or things like that. Do, do we want that? Uh, I mean, and it, it, it's hard, right? And uh, and also, 
um, you know, right now it's in order to um, uh, to, to sequence uh, one's genome, you need a sample. I, I apologize, but you need a sample of saliva, which is pretty uh, significant. So you cannot just you know take uh, your glass and take. I mean, this would be legal, but you cannot take your glass and uh, have your uh, your genome sequenced. Uh, but in the future, maybe this might not be uh, the case anymore, right? So uh, they, they, I'm sure there will be a market where the sequencing, uh, the sequencing machines will cost like 50 or 100 dollars and will be sold on eBay, and then, you know, maybe maybe this will happen. Uh, so again, I could just swap my genome with yours. So yeah, so it's it's a, it's very complicated. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Uh, no. So in the, in the paternity test, right? Yeah. So yeah, we do that in in the paternity test, uh, and no, there is no uh, no sequence number. It's uh, actually the test, uh, the RFLP based technique. Is uh, is done in such a way uh, that two fragments will never have the same length. So, yeah. So there is no need to associate a number to it. Okay, so the last question is: I wonder, uh, does genome have a character like the period? Like like what? Period. Period. Means it's just that after long distance, it's just a repeat. Yes. Yes. That happens a lot, actually. Yeah. There are certain so. Uh, genome is actually um, we, we distinguish uh, genes and so-called non-coding regions. And in the non-coding regions, uh, there is a lot of uh, repetitions. So certain patterns that repeat over and over and, and over. Uh, actually, uh, myself and I think uh, also bio, uh, biology experts they don't fully understand what non-coding regions are used for. Uh, some some say that they uh, they're used to uh, instruct how to code uh, for proteins, but only a part of them. But so some parts they they, they seem like repetitions, uh, but yeah, we don't know we don't know why. All right, thank you so much. Thank you.